Let's see if I can get the microphone on. Can you guys hear me now? Hey, good evening, church, or good morning. Oh, my goodness. Good morning. Yo, wow, I am off today, and that's a horrible start to my sermon. It's wonderful to be with you uh, here in church. I, uh, I've actually been in seminary with, with, with Pastor McLeod and, and, and with Evelio. I did a little stint at Knox Seminary with Evelio as well, and uh, I got to meet your pastor this past Friday over coffee, and uh, I love your pastoral staff. Um, Stephen McLeod here today. Is he here? No? Love that young man. So I'll, I'll brag up on him a little bit. As big and strong as he is, uh, his heart is just as big and his love for God is just as big. And it's been a delight having him in my class. Um, you asked how the dynamic is having my wife as my boss at school. I, I tell everybody, you know, at church, she's the pastor's wife. At True North, I'm the pastor's wife. And uh, that has been a wonderful experience for me. And uh, she's a great boss to have. I want to tell you a little bit about myself. Um, I was a person who was extremely far away from God until he was 20. I grew up in a Christian home. They went to church every single Sunday. And I remember my heart was, uh, on Sundays, me and my brothers would be like, let's just be as quiet as we can be, and maybe mom and dad will sleep in, and we won't have to go today to church. Uh, they never slept in. They always got up, and they took us to church. And of my mom's three boys, I think I was the one who gave her the most problems. The one that she prayed about the most, the one that she worried about the most. I was so far away from God. I went away and I played a year of football at a small school in Ohio. I came back down to Miami and I ended up getting a job as an intern at 94.9 Zeta 4, this old classic rock station that no longer exists. And I can honestly tell you that I was so far away from God that one evening I'd come back home super late from a party, done a bunch of things I shouldn't have done. I went into my bedroom, and for the first time in my life, the weight of my sin was upon my heart. I felt so guilty and ashamed of everything I had done. I thought about my poor parents and how they had raised me better. And the problem was that I had gone to a Christian school. So I knew enough Bible to get myself in trouble. And I began thinking, oh my goodness, somewhere along the way, I must have committed the unforgivable sin. And I thought, God, I, I deserve it. You've given me every chance. I've blown it every single time. I know you are done with me. And by God's grace, that evening, I, I finally was able to fall asleep. The next morning, my mom woke me up, and she said, my car won't start. I need you to take me to work. So I said, come on, Mom. We got in the car, and we began to fight over what radio station we were going to listen to that day. I wanted to listen to 94.9 and Classic Rock. And my mom wanted to listen to 89.7 WMCU, which was a Christian station. Uh, my mom eventually told me, son, I bought you the car. I decide what gets played on the radio in your car. And uh, so we listened that day to 89.7 WMCU on the way to her job. And a Presbyterian minister came on with a great booming voice named Steve Brown. And he gave a sermon. And in those 15 minutes, I have no idea what he said, but his last line has stayed in my heart all these years. He said, God's not angry, he's really not. Now, as I dropped off my mom, that just kept echoing in my head, God's not angry, he's really not. And I was thinking, how could that be true? I mean, after everything I've done, how can God not be angry at me? And for some reason, everything I had been taught about Christ, the gospel, the cross, the resurrection, all clicked, and I realized, if Jesus Christ has died for me, then my sins are forgiven and God isn't angry anymore. 
And I remember by the time I got to my house, I knelt next to my bed and I prayed and I asked Jesus into my heart. And at that moment, the guilt, the shame, everything that I was carrying around went away. That's the God that I want to speak to you about this morning. See, this is the God that I told when I was in high school, I don't want to be a pastor and I don't want to be a missionary to. You see, in my mind, whatever God wanted me to do was going to make my life miserable. Little did I know that this is the God that knows the number of hairs I have on my head. But this is the God that had formed me in my mother's womb for a purpose and for a mission. And I can honestly tell you to this day right now that there is nothing I enjoy more than pastoring. In fact, I don't even consider myself a teacher. I consider myself a pastor who happens to teach literature. And so my heart and everything identifies as a pastor. Well, a couple of years ago, in the height of the whole COVID scare, I, I did my first mission trip to Haiti. And I'll never forget, I got there and the, the Haitian people were wonderful. We now have 11 churches in Haiti. And we have this very thriving uh, mission that's going there with a very gifted church planner. Um, when I got to Haiti, people were hugging me. And you remember they told you, keep the mask on, don't hug. I, I said, you know what, I'm on a mission trip. I can't hug someone with, I can't see Jesus hugging someone with a mask. I, I just took it off. I began hugging and kissing everybody that I could. Last day I preached. Now, I'm an Anglican, and we tend to dress up when we preach. So I had my suit on, then I had my black cassock over that, my white surplus, and my stole. In a little tin church building that felt like it was 140 degrees with no air conditioning. I was soaked in sweat when I finished preaching the gospel. Um, I started getting lightheaded. Uh, I, I felt like I was gonna faint. They had to rush me back to the hotel. Um, you, you can't drink the water from the sink. They can only give me bottled waters and those were limited. And I remember thinking in my mind, oh my goodness, they are not gonna let me back on that plane. They're gonna think uh, he has COVID uh, and they won't let me on, you know, to get back to Miami. And so I called my wife and I said, honey, please find me a hotel. And she had found like, I think it was a Marriott in Port-au-Prince uh, that had bottled water. That's all, I wanted a hotel with bottled water. That was like my, my only concern. I wanted to pray, God, please heal me of this so I could go home. And all that came out of my mouth was, God, thank you for letting me preach the gospel here in Haiti. And a deep sleep came over me. And I remember I woke up at five o'clock the next day and I was fresh. It was like God had totally restored me overnight. And I was able to come home. I tell you this because I noticed you guys have some opportunities to go on mission trips. Can I encourage you, if you've never been on a mission trip, to sign up for one? You never know what God's going to do to you and through you on those mission trips. With that said, let me read my text, and then let me tell you about this God of love, this God of grace, this God of restoration. I'm going to read from John chapter 1, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Pray with me. Father, this morning I confess that I'm a sinner who does not deserve to be standing here. Lord, I pray that you would remove me, speak through me. Whatever I say today, Lord, if it's from me, I pray that everyone would forget. But if it's from you, I pray that everyone would remember. In Jesus' name, amen. Did the microphone die? Is that what happened? No. Oh, it fell. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. I didn't even realize it. Is that better? Can you guys hear me better now? Yeah. Terrific. Guys, if that happens again, please, someone let me know. All right. Guys, we've all received, and I love that line, not a little bit of grace, but we have all received grace upon grace. I want to show you this in John's gospel. I want to show you this God of second chances, this God of new beginnings, and I want to show this to you through the lens of John and how he presents that to his readers. So if you have your pew Bibles, let me, or your own Bibles, let me ask you to grab one and turn to John chapter 1. So everybody grabs their pew Bible, go to John chapter 1, and I want to look at the very first three words of John 1.1. 1, 1. Is everybody there? What are the first three words of John 1.1? 1, 1? In the beginning. Where have we heard those words before? In the book of Genesis. Okay, let me see how well you know Genesis. How many days did it take God to create everything, including the Sabbath? seven days. Can you put that in the back of your minds for a second? Do you remember after the creation of those seven days, out of Adam's side, he gets a bride named Eve? And the first time he looks at Eve, do you remember what he calls her? Woman. Put that in the back of your minds for a second. I want to show you a couple of things. Jump down to verse 29 of John 1. What are the first three words of John 1:29? the next day. So listen, so if John says the next day, now we're on day two, read to me the first three words of 35. Now we're on day three, read to me the first three words of 43, the next day. Now we're on day four, read to me the first four words of John 2, 1. What's four plus three? And we get a whole new creation account here, a whole new recreation, a whole new restoration that Jesus Christ came to give. Can I show you something else that's very interesting? When Adam first saw Eve, he called her, everybody say woman. When Jesus, at the end of those seven days, is approached by his mother, he calls her woman in John 2. Isn't that interesting? The Bible's doing something very specific here. The Bible is showing us this God who loved us so much that he incarnated and became one of us to bring us new creation. Uh, can I get an amen there? That should excite you in and of itself, but it gets even better because in John chapter 2, we read about the very first sign that Jesus performed. He turned the water into wine. Guys, do you know why he turned the water into wine? To keep a wedding party going. If you don't see that that is a God of grace, I don't know what else will communicate that than a God who they estimate turned 120 to 180 gallons of water into wine, way more than was needed. Listen to me, we have a God of abundance, not a God of scarcity. And so Jesus turned the water into wine, that was his first sign. What was Moses' first sign? 
water to blood. I heard it over here somewhere. It was water to blood. Listen to what John says again from our reading. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Guys, we have all received grace upon grace. This is extremely important for us to grasp because um, a couple of years ago, we, ch we changed the name of our church. I was really, uh, I was taken aback with this idea of the God that restores. You know, Jesus says in Revelation 21.4, I am making all things new. It doesn't mean brand new, it means renewed, he's restoring. Around that same time, I noticed that there were some shows that my wife was watching on TV that I started watching and I got hooked with her. Shows like Property Brothers, you guys ever seen that? You guys ever seen Trading Spaces? What about Chip and Joanne? Guys, all those shows have one thing in common. They're taking a house that's falling apart and they're restoring it. And I thought, wait a minute, that is a gospel theme. That is what our God does. Our God doesn't throw people away. Our God restores people and gives second chances and new beginnings. And I said, I, we, we gotta change the name of the church. We, we just can't be Christ the King Anglican Church. We need to become Restoration Anglican Church because I wanna be on mission with the God that restores. You know, they even have a hardware company called Restoration Hardware. Guys, the world steals our best stuff. Those are gospel themes. Those are ours as Christians. And so we, we talk about a God that restores people, a God that restores relationships, including marriages, a God that restores dreams. We have a God that loves to give new beginnings and second chances. A God that is extremely gracious. But John has structured his gospel in a way for us to go back to Genesis, or at least to have Genesis in our minds as we read it, because there's going to be echoes of Genesis here. I want to show you a few of them, and a lot of what I'm going to give you is not original. I, uh, I have become a, a fan of the patristics, a fan of the disciples of the disciples. I read a lot of the early church fathers, and a lot of what I'm going to give you is stuff that I've gotten from them. But I hope it'll bless you, and I hope it'll make you fall more in love with Jesus. In Genesis 3, after God creates, we have a fall. Remember that? Adam and Eve, the serpent said, um, God knows that if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God doesn't want you to eat of it because you'll become like him. Guys, the devil's lie is very simple there. If you follow God's commandments, your life will be miserable. Did you catch that? It's, he doesn't want you to eat it because he doesn't want you to reach your full potential. He doesn't want you to be like him. Can I tell you something? I've been pastoring for a long time, and I've noticed that the opposite is true. It's when we don't follow his commandments that our life becomes miserable. It's when we don't listen to his voice. But for some reason, that lie that Satan told in the garden has been echoed throughout all history. It's the same lie that I believed when I said, God, I don't want to be a pastor. Or God, please don't ever send me on the mission field. It's the same lie that told me if I'm going to have happiness, I have to do it on my terms. And what I fail to realize is that true happiness only comes from God. So in Genesis 3.15, they sin and they sin big and they notice that what they had before is gone. They notice they're naked. They're missing something in their lives. And the Bible says that they take fig leaves fig, and, they, and they tie them around their bodies to cover themselves. 
Now, I, I love this, because if you've ever done something bad, our first inclination is to, is a cover-up. They, they covered up with fig leaves. And then when they heard God walking, the Bible says they went and they hid among the trees. You, you guys realize the first example of camouflage ever was humanity trying to hide from God. But this is a God that seeks after the human beings that are trying to hide from him. This is the God that comes looking for us. This is the God that became flesh and dwelt among us that John referenced here. And he came looking for Adam and for Eve. And, and what they learned that day is that they don't have the power to cover themselves up. Only God doesn't cover you up. God forgives you and removes the guilt and the shame and takes it away. I want to give you a couple more stories from John, and then I'm going to be done. Some of you are saying, but pastor, what if I've screwed up big time? What if you don't know the things I've done? I've done some pretty bad things. I, what about me in those circumstances when I've blown it, when I've really, really blown it? Let me tell you that in John's gospel, there is a disciple of Jesus that really, really blew it. There's a disciple of Jesus who told Jesus, I'll never deny you. And yet, when they arrested Jesus, he followed. And the Bible says he went all the way into this courtyard and there was a charcoal fire. Can everybody just say charcoal fire real quick? And so Peter, by this charcoal fire, denies the Lord. You guys remember that story? Well, then you move forward a little bit in the gospel and you get to, to John 19 and you see Jesus on the cross and again, echoes of Genesis. You know, you, you know where Jesus died? The name of the place, according to John? Golgotha. What does Golgotha mean? Place of the skull. Guys, you remember Genesis 3.15, after the fall you get the first promise of the gospel that Pastor McLeod mentioned at the end of the first service? Do you remember what, what, what the promise of the, the proto-evangelion, the first gospel ever preached, what it says? The seed of the woman shall crush the head of the... Guys, if you have eyes to see, when you see Jesus hanging on that cross, he's hanging on that cross over a skull. What is he doing? He's crushing the head of the serpent. As he's hanging there on that cross, he is crushing the works that Satan had performed on humanity. He's crushing it, he's destroying it. And then it's so magnificent because like Adam took a wound to his side for his bride to be born, in Genesis we read that they stick a spear where? And the patristics used to say that's the birth of the church right there as we know it today. That's the bride of Christ being born. It's magnificent because in John 19, he dies, but in John 20, he what? Everybody say resurrects. He resurrects. You can't have a Christianity without a resurrection. He resurrects. And I want you to listen to the echoes of Genesis here. There's a woman named Mary Magdalene who comes to the tomb. And it says that she stood outside weeping, and she looked inside the tomb and saw two angels, one sitting at the head and one of the foot where the body of Jesus had lain. By the way, I had a great professor at Knox Seminary named Warren Gage who said that is an image of the Holy of Holies, 
where the Ark of the Covenant was with two angels facing each other, and the sacrifice, the blood of sacrifice was placed on the mercy seat in between. Hebrews says that's a shadow of the reality to come. John's telling us the reality came in Jesus. And she sees that and she doesn't understand and the angels ask her, who are you looking for? And she says, they've taken away my Lord. I, I don't know where they've laid him. And then in verse 14, in verse 15, Jesus speaks to her. And he said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? Now listen to this. It says, supposing him to be the, the gardener. What, you know, in John's gospel, people speak better than they realize. You, re, you know that, right? Caiaphas, everybody does that in John's gospel. They say deeper things than they realize is coming out of their mouths. She said, oh, this must be the, what was Adam's first job? What do you call someone who takes care of a garden? And here she's saying, he must be the, the gardener. Paul picks up on this, and Paul says Jesus is the second or the last Adam. You see, the first Adam screwed everything up. But this Adam came to set everything right. This Adam came for you and for me, who were born in sin because of the first Adam. This Adam's mission will not fail. Where the first one failed, this one didn't fail. And that's why we can sing those beautiful hymns like Blessed Assurance. You know, there's no blessed assurance unless we have an incredible Savior who can save us, amen? Because if it's up to us, guys, we're going to screw it up again. That's why Christianity is all about grace. Now, what about Peter? When you get to John 21, um, you'll remember when, when Jesus first called Peter, he was fishing, remember? And Jesus is in the boat with him, and Jesus goes to tell him, go out a little bit deeper. They weren't catching anything that night, and they get this big haul of fish. And, and Peter falls on his knees, and he says, Jesus, I'm sinful. Uh, get off my boat. You're too holy to be here with me. And Jesus gives him the call, you're no longer a fisherman, but a fisher of men. Remember that? I want you to listen to John 21. Peter has decided to go fishing again, not for men, but for fish. And Peter has not had a conversation with Jesus since his fall. And we read in verse 4, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. Jeez, doesn't that remind you of that first call? when they didn't catch anything that night fishing? He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it out. Now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. Watch this and I'm going to read it slow and I hope you catch it. He said, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. Did you catch that? Remember Genesis. When Adam and Eve first sinned, what did they do? They tried to clothe themselves. Guys, when you go to the beach, do you take off clothing or do you put on more clothing? Peter 
was stripped for work and he put on clothing and he threw himself into the sea. You know what he's trying to do? He's trying to cover up. And I love this, but he has enough sense now to know to go to Jesus. And when he gets on the shore, the Bible says that, he, that he's, as soon as he gets on the shore, you know what he sees? A charcoal fire. Now listen, if you're Peter, I know, what are you thinking? Oh my gosh, I denied him. And then him and Jesus, after breakfast, have this wonderful conversation where Jesus tells him, um, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, in the Greek there, it says agape. Do you agape me? Do you love me perfectly? And Simon responds, um, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But he says phileo you. We get the word Philadelphia. He goes, do you love me perfectly? I love you like a brother. Now, in seminary, they told me those two words can be used interchangeably, and sometimes they can. But I just want you to hang on to the difference for one second, because I want to make a point here. It says Jesus tells him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Do you love me perfectly? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you like a brother. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you? But he doesn't say agape. He says, do you even love me as a brother? This is that Peter was grieved because he said it to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you like a brother. Why the difference there? I want you to hold this for one second. There's a book entitled Jesus, A Theography. It's written by my doctoral mentor. And he did some studying on Second Temple Judaism. And he found out a magnificent bit of information that has blessed my soul that I want to share with you. When you brought a sacrifice, when you brought your lamb to the temple, it just couldn't be any old lamb. That wouldn't work. When you brought the lamb, the priest would ask you, do you really love this lamb? Is this really a sacrifice what you're bringing? Did you bring the best of what you had to God? Guys, let me give you the gospel, because the gospel turns everything upside down. In our case, it's not, do we love the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, which is what John calls him in John 1. In our case, it's that the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world agapes us, even though we don't love him perfectly. Guys, that is the gospel, because the sacrifice that Jesus did is not based on our love for him, it's based on his love for us. You know what that is, brothers and sisters? That is good news. Can I get an amen? So I want to ask you today, are you carrying around any guilt? Do you need forgiveness? Do you need a second chance? Go to Jesus and you will find a new beginning, a restoration, and you will receive grace upon grace. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son. 
We thank you that our Savior is so powerful, Lord, that we can have assurance that no one can pluck us out of his hand. Father, if there's anyone here today in church that has guilt, that has sinned, that needs restoration or a new beginning, Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would touch them and draw them to Christ. For I ask this in his name. Amen.